You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to The Main Course. Um, I warn you that our conversation will very quickly go to the dogs today, but in a very good way. Um, my guest today is Kyle Noonan, who is co-founder and CEO of Free Range Concepts. Um, to kind of first want to get into, you know, why your company is called Free Range. Kind of what did, why did you go there and set it up that way? Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you, Barbara, for having me on. I'm really excited. I love, I love your podcast. You do a great job. Um, so it's, I'm glad to be one of your guests. Um, but we, we founded my, it was actually, my company was founded by myself and my college roommate, uh, about eight years ago. And we were trying to come up with a name and trying to understand what our ethos was. And, um, we ended up calling our company free range concepts. That's our parent company that holds, uh, all the different brands that we own and operate. Uh, and the reason why we called it free range concepts is, we obviously, there's a double entendre. I mean, when you think free range as it pertains to food, uh, you generally think of good for you, good for the environment, you know, kind of a, a holistic, uh, positive vibe. But then also we knew that we were going to be a young creative company. We wanted to be innovative and we didn't want to be penciled in or bottled into to one specific thing. We wanted to have free range to do interesting interesting concepts in in various different fields so mutt's canine concept is case in point one of those really unique different concepts uh, that are outside of the normal realm of typical food and beverage service and also you're based in texas so range is kind of a word that you associate with texas absolutely so let's go through the concepts one by one let's start with the first um so uh, take me back to what is 2013? So it's 2012. Uh, I was in the restaurant industry um, since college for, for about 15 years. And my college roommate and best friend was in the real estate private equity world. And, and 2012 rolled around and we said, you know what, we think, we're, we think it's time. We're, we were in our early 30s. We think it's time to leave our careers and go start this company. Um, and we sat at my home office for the better part of a year, writing a business plan, um, you know, raising capital, just trying to get, get our ducks in a row. And our first concept that we opened was called, is called Bowl and Barrel, which is a high-end, upscale, boutique bowling alley, restaurant and bar. Um, and it's, real more, it's really uh, more restaurant and bar than it is bowling. Um, because our emphasis is on the food and the service first and foremost, and you happen to have a fancy bowling lane next to you. Um, so we opened that, and then six months later, we opened Mutt's Canine Cantina, which is a restaurant and bar, full-service restaurant and bar, with a private membership-based dog park where dogs pay a monthly membership, much like a, a gym membership or a country club. Uh, so dogs can come in and run around and we have bark rangers taking care of the dogs while you get to sit there under an oak tree and drink a glass of wine. Um, so we opened that six months after Bowling Barrel and then three months after that, we opened a concept called The Rustic, which is a 
uh, full service restaurant and bar with a 3,000 person outdoor concert venue. So um, obviously, uh, that was a busy nine months, <laughs> right <laughs> out of the gates. Three large concepts, three very different concepts. Uh, but fortunately for us, uh, they all worked. And now we are up to um, 11 units throughout the state of Texas in Dallas, Fort Worth, San Antonio, and Houston. And um, we're growing beyond the state of Texas really quickly and really soon. And then you took a little bit of a break and then opened the general public. Correct. And the general public is really our, our, our only concept that's a true restaurant and bar. And that was really born out of, a, out of observing what our neighbor was doing um, at our original Bowl and Barrel. So what happened was um, when we opened our first Bowl and Barrel in Dallas, uh, there was next door to us, there was a kind of a, it was frankly just not a very good, you know, gastropub bar. Um, they had food, they had drinks. It wasn't very good. It's since closed. Um, but they were busy for a, a long while and I couldn't figure it out. So I got to know the owner and I asked him, I was like, where's your business coming from? And he goes, Kyle, I got to be honest with you, 80% of it's coming from you because Bowl and Barrel would be on a two-hour wait. And so people would put their name on the list, go next door, have a couple of drinks, wait for their name to be called, and then come back. And so we decided instead of feeding our neighbor, we might as well be our neighbor uh, and our newest Bowl and Barrels that we were opening during that time. So we decided to take over the spaces next to our Bowl and Barrels and... and open our own concept. And that's how the general public was born. Yeah, I guess it's a, a good lesson to always pay attention to your surroundings and, and uh, you never get that kind of tunnel vision, um, you know, that it's just your place that, you, you know, you look out and look for vision in that way. Certainly. We're always looking for opportunity. Um, and opportunity can come in a lot of different forms and shapes and sizes, but um, we're, we're really paying attention to the world and, and uh, trying to figure out what, where our opportunity lies. So now you do have uh, a co-founder. Um, can you explain a little bit about how the two of you work together and kind of complement each other? Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I um, can tell you our skill sets, our personalities, um, the way we act and interact are, are vastly different. Um, we are very much the odd couple. Um, you would never think that we would be best friends. Um, I was an art major in college, for example, and the social chair in our fraternity. And he was the, he was the president and treasurer of this fraternity, and he was a business major, a finance major. Um, and so we're very yin-yang. We're very left brain, right, right brain. So because of that, our skill sets really complement each other. Um, but the one thing that we have going for is probably better than really anything is that we both share same core values and we trust each other implicitly. And so we have the ability to, he has his, you know, silo of the business and I have my silo of the business and we, we don't really question the other person, um, on our silos. And so when it comes time to say making a decision on maybe opening a new concept, um, he looks at it from his perspective and I look at it from mine. And if we both independently say yes, then it's a yes. If one of us says no, then it's a no. 
no questions asked. Um, and so because of that, we, we really kind of have a church and state mindset, um, which, which helps us stay balanced, frankly. How does, help, how does being an art major kind of help you or hurt you in hospitality? Well, I, I think ultimately higher education has nothing to do with hospitality. Um, hospitality comes from uh, who you are as a person and do you have a passion to take care of others? Um, I don't think that's something you necessarily are taught. I think that's something that maybe you're taught growing up, um, but, but as far as sitting in a classroom, a professor is not going to be able to teach you how to take care of people. You either have that desire or you don't. Um, and so I don't know that art, being an art major necessarily helps me in the hospitality space, but it does help us in a uh, creative concepting, conceptual space. It helps us from a marketing angle uh, to get a little bit more creative and think outside the box, think differently than, than our competitors or what's going on in the landscape. Um, so it allows me to get that creative energy out when I'm designing a concept or designing a marketing plan to help drive business. Yeah, you do have, um, you know, you could just the way you were talking about MUTs um, with the marketing of it, you know, you could have a, a lot of fun, um, you know, going to those places and saying, hey, you know, let, we'll have the Bark Ranger, you know, it's just, it's just kind of fun. Um, Barbara, it is, it is, it is the easiest concept to market for because it's just so, cute and so fun and uh you know we have uh daily yappy hours instead of happy hours um like you said we have bark rangers um our tagline is come sit stay i mean we we just have a lot of fun with that concept because it's just naturally a fun concept and you've had a lot of success um with mutts um you know and during the pandemic too um can you talk a little bit about what you were doing um, you know, that, that did bring people in. Yeah. You know, I, I, I talk to a lot of restaurateurs, um, on a, on a daily basis and there's a little bit of guilt associated, um, with, with these conversations right now, because I know how difficult it is in the industry and how many people are just struggling to keep the doors open and keep the lights on. Uh, we aren't feeling that we are, we're actually up in sales, we'll finish the year stronger than we did last year. Um, because MUTS is a membership-based model, um, even when we were forced to close for a 30-day period, um, we still were positive cash flow because we still had that reoccurring monthly membership coming in, um, and we had no operating costs associated with it. So even when we were closed, we were making money. But now that we're open, because we're open air, because we're outdoor venue, um, and because, frankly, people are uh, bottled up in their house and they want to get out. Uh, so many people now have, instead of leaving their four-legged friend at home while they go to work, they now are at home with their four-legged friend. And so they want to take it out. And then the interesting thing is pet ownership is, has uh, increased 50% this year. Uh, the, most of the shelters are, are empty. Um, because people were at home and they just said, you know what, we're going to get a puppy, we're going to get a dog. And so uh, this concept has always done well, but it is uniquely positioned to navigate this pandemic. And then hopefully if there's others, hopefully there's not others, but 
if there's others, we're, we're equally as positioned. And how about the other concepts? How are they doing? All, all of our concepts are, are uh, again, doing well. We, we, are, we will finish the year up. Um, and I, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm glad and I'm proud of our team. Um, but I'm also, it doesn't change the fact that I am sad for our industry because there's a lot of people that are struggling. You know, you're um, involved in the entertainment, uh, as they call it, um, but you do place a big emphasis on the eater aspect of that. Um, so can you talk a little bit about why it was so important for you to, to focus on on the plates and what is given to, to people where, you know, some of the entertainment places um, were more uh, focused on, you know, the experience of it um, and the food was kind of by the wayside. Well, yeah, and I can, I can give you a great example. There's plenty of concert venues uh, around this country that serve food, um, but unless there's a concert going on, nobody's in there eating. Um, we wanted to be, for the rustic, uh, take that for example, we wanted that concept to be a restaurant and bar with live music as opposed to a live music venue that serve food. And the reason for that, and, that, and that, that trend goes across all concepts, whether it's Mutt's, whether it's Bowl and Barrel, whether it's the rustic, it's a restaurant and bar first and foremost uh, with some unique component attached to it. Um, and our thought, our philosophy is, the food, the food component is the harder component to execute. It's the component that most people don't want to mess with because it's a lot of work and that's your lowest margins. But that's the one thing that will differentiate us from our competitors because at the end of the day, everybody's Miller Lite tastes the same. Um, there's only so much you can do with that. But, you know, not everybody's... Uh, cheeseburger tastes the same. And so being able to execute at a high level, the difficult things we felt is one of the things that sets us apart from our competition. And I guess it also would take away from the novelty aspect and make people want to come back. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, it's not a gimmick, right? It, it's a real, it's a real restaurant. It's a real business that you have things on your menu that people crave. And that's, that's the one thing when we do taste menu tastings we we decide based off of obviously taste appearance does it fit the brand but the the one thing i ask our team is is this craveable is this something is this dish something that you would want to eat weekly um and if it's not then it doesn't make the menu you're embarking on franchising correct so um embarking that's a that's a good play on words <laughs> Um, what are you guys looking for in franchise partners? So, you know, really what we want first and foremost is does that person have, or does that group have a sense of hospitality? Because our business at its core is people taking care of people. And that's the number one thing that we look for, whether you're a, a franchise partner or whether you're an employee or, or frankly, whether you're one of our vendors. We want people that share that same sense of taking care of others and that same selfless um, ideology, because I think that's what we're in. That's the business we're in. Um, so that's the number one thing. And then obviously, we want somebody that is passionate about what they do, that loves 
that loves the food and beverage, that loves the dogs. Um, I mean, it's hard to go into mutts and work and have a bad day because you're surrounded by puppies all day long. Um, and so we want somebody that is wired that way, that they just love what they do. That, that, you Because know, as you know, this industry as a whole is not an easy industry. And you really better love what you do um, or else you, you're going to get burnt out really quickly. So at Mutz, you had some uh, discovery days yes. um, with potential partners. Can you talk a little bit about what you did? Yes. Well, I mean, so we, you know, one of the things that's interesting, when we opened Mutz, we opened it, I guess it's been almost seven years ago. Um, we, when we opened that concept, we didn't have any point of reference. It was, it was, it was a new concept, never been done before. Um, so we didn't have someone else's mistakes to learn from. Um, we were creating our own category. And so it took us, it took us five years to get it figured out. We, we made money early on, but we weren't at a point where we said, okay, this is a finely tuned, well-oiled machine that we can roll out. And it took us time. So we took time uh, with our first unit in Dallas until we opened our second unit, which was about five years later, uh, we opened our second unit in Fort Worth that is more of our prototype um, because we were able to learn from our mistakes, figure out the tweaks we needed to make so that we could create that well-oiled machine. Um, and so when it comes to a discovery day, the first thing we do is they, they got to see the original one because you got to see where it all started. But then we also want to take you to the new and improve really our 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 prototype and see how it actually works now um, but then the biggest part is just spending an afternoon together um, sometimes a full day together just getting to know each other just sitting around a table having a cup of coffee and talking because if we're going to be partners uh, we want to make sure that we get along and that we're happy and that we jive because that's life's too short to work with people you don't want to work with so if i'm a franchisee first couple of questions that come to my my mind um, if I'm thinking of, of making this an, as an investment is um, what kind of space am I going to need is it going to work in certain parts of the country and the liability um, so if you can just speak to that um, you know as to um, you know uh, answering those questions um, uh, as you guys look to expand beyond the areas where you are now? Sure. Well, the easiest one to talk about is liability. Fortunately, there, are, um, there were businesses that existed before us, like doggy daycares and veterinary clinics, that had to have insurance packages that catered to a business that, was, that involved pets. So we had that to look for or look at. <coughs> Pardon me. We had that to look at um, and to reference. Um, and because the operations are very simple and streamlined of a MUTS, um, the little bit of extra insurance that you have to carry uh, gets kind of negated by the lack of, of operational costs that you typically would have on a full service restaurant. Um, so that's an easy one to solve. The, the other one is a really interesting thing, and, and that's the real estate component. So Mutz ideally has about an acre, um, at least an acre, uh, because you want to have enough room to have enough members uh, 
to be able to be profitable. So our, uh, our kind of goal for membership is, is right around somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 members per unit, um, paying $17 a month. So you can do that. You can do that quick and easy math and see how much revenue you get off the top before you even open your doors, which is a great revenue model. Um, but the challenge is, okay, how do you find, how do you find an acre and a half in an urban dense area? Well, what we found, and this is where it becomes really interesting, because Mutz is a park, it can be any size, it can be any shape, um, and it can be a, mini, a, a great amenity to big mixed-use developments. So a lot of these mixed-use developments have to have green space, or they have odd, irregular-shaped pieces of land that don't really work to put a building on, so they just get left you know, they plant some trees or something in there and, and just leave it. Um, well, we have an ability to go into a developer and say, look, that piece of green space over there that you can't use, we can monetize it for you. And so it, it, it has a really unique revenue model, but it also has a really unique real estate play. Um, and that's why we're seeing some great success with MUTs. Can you talk a little bit about the areas that you're expanding into? Sure. We're, I mean, we're, we're obviously Texas-based, so we're kind of going in concentric circles outside of Texas. Um, we love the Sun Belt um, just because we love, we love dry, dry weather. Um, but if we're talking about, and we are exploring going up to, say, the Northeast, where it's a little colder, um, you might get some rainy days, um, so we're looking at more covered spaces there so that you can use it a little bit more year-round. So um, some of the venues that have been hardest hit uh, during the pandemic have, you know, live music, more the close uh, bars. Um, how do you see those kind of concepts evolving? Well, I mean, you know, obviously 2020 has been a year where we've all had to be very flexible and be quick to, to make adjustments to our business model. Um, this is not the year to be rigid and be stuck in your ways. So there is going to have to be an, an evolution in that, in that world. And what that looks like, I'm not sure. Um, fortunately, all of our concepts are positioned to um, really thrive during this time. So we're not having to look at ways to really adjust the business model. Uh, because we're just we're so well positioned for it, and I would love to say that I knew it was coming ten years ago, uh, but that's not the case. We just we just happen to get lucky, um, and I do believe that sometimes it is better to be lucky than good. Um, so I don't know what what happens, but the, it would be we'd be remiss to say it isn't. It's going to change. I mean, the, the industry has to change. And the operators that have a good vision and stay flexible and get creative and adapt, those are the ones that are going to thrive. And the ones that stay rigid and say, no, we're, 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 we've always done it this way and that's the way we're going to do it, they're probably not going to, they're probably not going to make it. So adaptability. Uh, it has to be. That, I mean, that's, that's what 2020 has taught me more than anything. So you guys have a mission statement. Um, which is to create remarkable memories. Um, 
how did you come up with that? And is that something you recommend to other brands um, as a way to kind of help them focus and help with training? Well, I mean, you have to know what you're about. You have to know what you stand for. Um, and not only that, you have to have everybody on your team know what the goal is so that you can all be pulling in the same direction. So the way it started, or the way, or the way our mission statement came about, which is kind of funny, back when I told you that my partner and I were in my home office writing our business plan and um, working, you know, before we even opened a store, working for a year straight, um, one of the things we did is write a mission statement. And we wrote this beautiful mission statement that was really long and filled with tons of corporate jargon, and we were really proud of it. And I walked around one of our stores about a year later, and I just started asking people what our mission statement was, asking the team members, what's our mission statement? And I got deer in the headlights look so many times, nobody could recite it, nobody knew it, and I realized I had a problem. So we went back to the drawing board, and we just started boiling it down. And we went from two paragraphs to one, and then one paragraph to a few sentences, and then you know, one to a few sentences to one long sentence. And then we finally got to where we landed on uh, almost our last iteration, which was to create remarkable memories for our guests. And we sat there and looked at it for a while. We had it up on the whiteboard. And I said, I think we can still go further. And so we eliminated for our guests. So it's very simple, our mission statement. Everybody in our organization knows that they can recite it, and they know what our goal is, and that's to create remarkable memories. And it's not just for our guests. It's for each other. It's for our vendors. It's for our community. It's for anybody that we come in contact with. We want them to walk away going, that, that was a remarkable memory. Um, and, and the reason why we put remarkable in there, and that word was very important, is because Webster defines remarkable as worth making a remark about. Um, and so we wanted people to not only have a great experience, but have such a great experience with us that they went out and told somebody. You know, and part of that taking off, you know, editing it um, was um, about your people who work for you. Um, so, you know, you have uh, fun brands, but you want the kind of people who ha are a good culture fit for that. So how do you identify those kind of people? Well, you know, what's interesting about culture is once it gets established, um, the second you bring somebody in that doesn't fit, they stand out really quickly. And they stick out like a sore thumb. And when you have, when you have team members that are passionate about the culture, then they're very quick to, to jump on it and say, hey, this is a problem. Um, and so once you establish the culture, um, if, as long as it becomes a point of focus every day, um, for example, all of our meetings start with somebody has to tell a story about somebody else that created a remarkable memory that week or that day. Um, and so that's how we start a meeting and we talk about that no matter what the meeting is, we talk about how did this person create a remarkable memory. Um, and when you, when you have that front of mind every day, the culture kind of maintains itself. The, 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 the challenge is building that. And 
what, where we found success was, again, just in the same method of reducing our mission statement to its pure essence. It's, it's just don't overthink things. Make it about helping other people, making it about being friendly, making it about saying yes and finding a way to take care of somebody. And, and, and you don't have to overthink it beyond that. This is leads into my next question. Um, in another interview, you used this great phrase, paralysis by analysis. Yes. Um, so can you, you talk a little bit about what that means to you and to the business? Yeah, I mean, I, frankly, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not that smart. And so I like things to be very simple. Um, and so often uh, we tend to overthink things, over-engineer things, try and make things more complicated than they are. And what I've found is typically when, when you see somebody have paralysis by analysis, meaning they don't have action, they just sit around and think about it and try and work through all the mistakes before they get out there. Typically that's ego-driven. It's because they don't want to, they want to be perfect, they don't want to mess up. Um, but we talk about things, it's, it's okay to make a mistake as long as you are giving your absolute best and as long as your decision making that, that led to that choice was about somebody else and about, about taking care of somebody. And if, it, if you miss the mark, we can fix it. But we like to move, I mean, business moves fast and we can't sit around and ponder and pontificate all day long. We have to go out and act and move and be quick and be willing to make a mistake from time to time. Without giving anything away, um, where do you hope to grow and you know, what, are you, what other concepts do you have in the works out there? Well, so one of the cool things about our, our company and the way we're, we're designed is we have a parent company that um, you know, has a lot of different moving parts, a lot of departments. So we have the ability to create new concepts. And we, have a, we have a handful of concepts that are, um, I, they were on the back burner, now they're getting closer to the front burner. Um, so we are looking at growing different concepts and expanding that way. But we also have very scalable brands, Mutt's being a prime example. Mutt's Canine Cantina, we started franchising it about a year ago, and um, we, we think in the first year we've, we've sold 15 units approximately, and um, we think that'll close to double next year. So, um, you know, that's a very scalable brand. It's going to grow quick because it's easy to open, easy to execute, and uh, there's just obviously a ton of interest because the uniqueness of the concept and the business model is just so highly profitable. And can't give away any other, uh, any things you're, that are in the thought process of, of new concepts? Well, you know, we, we do have a few new concepts. Um, they are going to be very family-centric. A lot of what we do is named after family members and, you know, menu items and things like that. Um, and so we have a few concepts that are based around, you know, our, our team's family. Um, and that's, I think that's the only thing I want to say. So say there's a, you know, young person out there who's working in the restaurant industry, you know, maybe it's their first job and it's getting into their blood and, you know, they're just like you when you were that age and they're kind of looking at what you're doing and they're saying, you know, I really, that's really what I want to do. What kind of advice would you give to that person? Well, I, I think the first thing I would 
and I, I just, I would say it in a different way. What advice would I give myself starting out, looking back? Um, what the advice I give myself is it's a, it's a, it's a long journey and it's not about making quick money. It's not about getting rich quick. Um, good work uh, happens and then money follows. And if you do the good work, then you find the money. Um, but you can't do it for the money. You have to do it because you are excited about doing the work. And that's advice I would give, not just in this industry, but in any, any industry, anybody starting out, you have to be passionate about the work. And if you do the good work, money will be the result. Last question, uh, also about passion. Um, you know, you were talking a little bit before about, um, you know, you're, you're doing well, but you're also talking with uh, other restaurateurs who things are not going well now. Um, but what is it that keeps you passionate about the future of the restaurant industry? Well, I just ultimately love what I do. Um, I mean, you know, I use the, uh, the snooze test. Have you ever heard that? The snooze alarm test? Um, it's where, you know, if, you, if your alarm goes off and you're hitting the snooze button too many times, then you're probably not doing the thing you're meant to do. Uh, but if your alarm goes off and you jump out of bed and can't wait to attack the day, then that's probably means you're, you're doing the thing that you were put on this earth to do. So, you know, every day I wake up and I'm just so excited to do what I do because I couldn't think about doing anything else and the joy I get from my team members uh, being happy and, and motivated and my guests being excited to return. That's just, that's what turns my crank and I, I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Great, thank you so much.